This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Thursday, January 18th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Norwood looks to home rule. San Miguel County installs avalanche gates in Ophir. Chef finds inspiration in the Telluride winter and a mountain weather forecast. The town of Norwood is looking to become a home rule municipality. We actually have a board of five trustees for the incorporated town of Norwood. It's about a two mile by two mile stretch. Um, have about 800 people inside of it. Um, and at this time, um, we were statutory town. That's Norwood Mayor Candy Meehan. A statutory town means Norwood does not enact its own laws or rules. It enforces those coming down from the state of Colorado or San Miguel County. Becoming a home rule municipality for Norwood would give us more control over our legislative um, parameters than we have now. Right now, we take on what the state tells us instead of us telling the state what we are willing to take on. Meehan says the conversation on home rule has come up in the past, but it was reignited after a large solar project wanted to come into town. The community was against the project. It was all impact and no improvement. And we didn't, at our hand, have the ability to say no. In order for Norwood to become a home rule municipality, voters would need to approve it. And it's a long process. Norwood is in the beginning steps, working with lawyers to understand what it would all mean and how to move forward. The town would need to create a commission to discuss and draft a home rule charter. This is a fledgling step. We just got the book. We've got a couple printouts. We've had a couple conversations. We're trying to find appropriate legal counsel to help us process through this. We're um, taking um, any suggestions from any other municipalities to, you know, find out what really worked well for them. Meehan notes they don't want to reinvent the wheel. The town of Telluride's been home rule for a long time. And actually that's kind of going to be where we start looking for um, hints and indicators about where we want to go and, you know, utilizing their wheel so we're not actually reinventing it. You know, we're making it fit us. She adds the town wants to take meaningful and deliberate steps. We have so many things that this could actually affect. We're going to have to sit back with that commission that the town board creates and have these conversations about what our priorities are. Because the one thing that is very hard to do is to to back something out. Because once you put something into a home roll, it's really solid and it's really stable. So we need to go about this deliberately, have a vision for what we want, and to focus on that concisely. And one of the things is we need diversified voices on that commission. Um, It needs to be a healthy mixture and blend of people that have been here a very long time and people that are new, because it's got to be something that is collectively and all mutually beneficial. Recognizing it's still the beginning of the process, Meehan says she's excited for what could come next. I'm excited for our area to start exploring this because it's, you know, it's just the next step in the growth of Wrights Mesa. It will likely take a minimum of two years for a question on home rule to go before voters in Norwood. In the coming months and years, there will be a number of town commission and community meetings to discuss the issue. San Miguel County is in the process of installing avalanche gates on Ophir Road. For several years, um, well actually several decades, the county has performed avalanche mitigation work um, for the safety of the Ophir Road, primarily for um, 
to ensure if we know that it's a high avalanche danger time, um, we contract with Helitrax to bomb the area, uh, bomb the avalanche pass. That's San Miguel County Manager Mike Bordonia. Over the years, the county has used a number of methods to block the road. We've blocked off the road with cars or with signs, but especially as Ofer has become more and more popular with backcountry skiers, with new residents, with non-primary homeowners even, um, especially last year. Obviously, we had a big snow year. We had uh, to clear the road several times, and almost every time, while our crews were in clearing and there, there are ways up a single-lane wide path, they would have cars uh, driving around closures and barricades all the way up and then blocking the equipment and our operators when they're obviously removing, uh, you know, 15, 20 feet of avalanche debris, they're not looking behind them at all times. So it was really for the safety of the residents, the users, and our road and bridge operators that we installed those ones in Ofer. The gates will be installed on the boundary of Ofer and just above the post office. It will close off completely the road so that only our road and bridge crews, uh, sheriff's office, and Helitrax personnel can be in the intervening area. And that's going to be a vertical gate, so it'll come down kind of similar to how the CDOT uh, closures happen on the state highway, where it's a vertical uh, the, um, gate that comes all the way down across the road. Bordonia notes the gates will only be closed for the active time avalanche mitigation is taking place. We're not closing it even if we think it's a high danger day and we have the work scheduled for the next day or a day or two later, we're not going to close that gate until the work is actually happening. So we've created it. We have a buffer time of notification. So the town of Ofer, emergency services, the sheriff's office, Rombridge, everybody is knowing is on the same page of, okay, in the next 45 minutes, the, the birds are in the air. They're going to be dropping bombs. Our crews are standing by with all of our equipment on both sides. And, that's when the that gate's going to be closed. And he adds residents and recreators should stay aware of avalanche danger even if the gates are up. We understand that living in Ofer or traveling in that area at any time throughout the winter can be a dangerous proposition. So um, I hope folks understand this is not a change where we're, we're, although we are taking an increased role in monitoring and assessing danger of these avalanche paths, and we have some new personnel at the county that has uh, experience and certifications in these areas. Um, we, we said we, because of the unpredictable nature of unplanned avalanche releases, um, we just leave up the one sign that says high avalanche danger, travel at your own risk, basically the entire winter, because we don't want to lead low folks into a false sense of security that only when that gate's uh, closed or only if um, the sign is up, that it's dangerous because it could be dangerous um, in times of the year that we don't expect it to. And we've seen that happen in the past. In addition to the Ofer gates, San Miguel County has also installed a gate near the Placerville Park to discourage drivers from speeding or taking shortcuts through the neighborhood. The gate is temporary and the county will revisit its effectiveness with the community after a trial period. The Ofer gates have been ordered and Bordonia says they should be installed in the next week or so. Chef Elena Regan came up through the Chicago food scene, eventually opening her own restaurant in Lincoln Square. Elizabeth, which earned her a Michelin star, regarded as the topmost culinary honor. 
Regan now runs a bed and breakfast, the Milkweed Inn, in the nether regions of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. The inn shutters in the winter, allowing Regan to focus on her writing and teaching, which for the last two winters has brought her to Telluride's AHA school. On a recent morning, while Regan prepped for a weekend of classes and pop-up dinners, KOTO's Gavin McGough caught up with the chef and brings us this report. I find Regan working in the AHA kitchen with the lights off prepping vegetables illuminated by the dim gray which permeates the vast windows of the AHA culinary classroom. A morning snow is falling in the street outside and Reagan is peeling carrots, roasting the dimpled leaves of a savoy cabbage between sheet pans to a rosy burnished crisp and watching the progress of a bread starter. Reagan does not interrupt her work and her hands are never idle. The kitchen hums with a fan, an oven heating, a timer blaring. She recalls her intimate relationship to food goes back to childhood. I was around food that was always seasonal. Um, they were do- my parents were doing like a lot of preserving and cooking from scratch. Um, so it was like family functions and holidays and almost everything was always around food. You know, my dad butchering things in the garage and making homemade sausage and my mom canning um, from as early as I can remember. That beginning has guided Reagan's ethos ever since. When she ran Elizabeth in Chicago, she became known for working foraged ingredients and a devotion to process into her cuisine. But she tells me... Even though I was still serving a lot of, you know, local stuff and things that were from the wild, like, I couldn't do it because I was running a small business, you know. I was doing sales taxes and payroll and, you know, all the things that are, like, super unfun. So Reagan eventually retreated from the city to start the Milkweed Inn, where she serves only a dozen diners each weekend of the summer. Downsizing has allowed her to return more fully to the kitchen, and yet she recognizes it hasn't changed the nature of working in fine dining. This is like, for me, when I'm really ultimately looking at it, it's an entertainment business. Like, you know, um, sure, there's food for necessity, but the people who are having my food are doing it for entertainment and culture and, you know, art and lifestyle. There's a price tag on that for me to be able to facilitate and work and do the things that I do. So if I can make some, you know, difference at in some small ways, then then that's good enough for me. Like, when I was doing it at the restaurant, I think all of those little bit of existential things would certainly get to me and get me down. And it just makes so much more sense to me to be having so much less waste, you know, and there's very little that I'm wasting at this point. Here in Telluride, what can Reagan's students expect from a class or a dinner at AHA during her residency? It'll be a small, intimate environment, both the the classes and the dinners. And um, the dinner will be just kind of like, yeah, like a little story of, um, 
you know, like the progression of the flavors and um, some of the seasonality. Um, you know, I don't think anything's going to say this is absolutely Telluride. You're eating Telluride right now, you know, like it is when, when I'm at Milkweed. But but it's still going to be, you know, fun and delicious. And um, draw, some of the things are definitely drawn from my... Um, heritage and food culture which is based in like eastern european cuisine so um so yeah i think people have a good time thinking of the act of a shared meal reagan continues i also love feeding people so i feel like food gives people it brings them joy and um especially eating with others and together i think like that pausing and having to have a meal not only for nourishment but enjoyment and with others is always a special thing so um and because i am an introvert i would rather be the one cooking and giving people the thing than being a part of the thing watching the industry reagan recognizes her own struggle and the struggle of the farmers servers cooks and small business owners trying to make an impossible food system work but she says the kitchen remains her place. I kind of get to do all the hiding behind the scenes in a way. Mm-hmm. Yes. So there's like this, there's like, sure, I teach the classes and do these dinners and it is kind of one-on-one me with people, but still I feel like I kind of get to hide behind the thing rather than, like I said, be be out front in it. So um, I think that's what will probably always keep me cooking and always keep me writing. Um, so yeah, it's my, my form of communication. Reagan's residency at the school runs a couple more weeks until early February. Her tasting menu dinners occur each Friday and Saturday night during her stay, and she holds class on Sunday and Monday nights. While some events are sold out, you can check availability and learn more at aha.org. In the meantime, Reagan disappears into the soft light of the AHA kitchen, folding dough, tinkering, and inventing menus from the offerings of the Telluride winter. Yeah. Oh, I always, I always travel with my sourdough starter, so yeah, I'm kind of a nerd in that way. Uh-huh. <laughs> No matter how hard you go on the mountain, we all ski in part to enjoy the pleasures of a little apre. Let Mountain Village host you in style with its Snow Sounds Apre Music Series. A collaboration of Telluride Arts and the Town of Mountain Village Owners Association, the concert series takes place each Friday during the ski season. This week, it features the groovy, lo-fi tunes of Atari Safari, and local businesses are offering drink deals to accompany the sounds of local music. Concerts take place in the Village Core from 3 to 6 p.m., so you can dance and spin the evening away, if your posky legs allow it. After a sunny and mild December, MLK Day weekend brought a change to the San Juan snowscape and the snow outlook for Colorado as a whole. According to the latest data from the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the snow water equivalent, which accounts for not only snow itself but also snow moisture content, in the San Juans is now around 85% of normal. 
At the outset of the month, the number was around 60% of normal. State climatologists remind water watchers that no single storm will change the picture of water in the West, which is buffeted by political negotiations, climate change, and constantly evolving conditions. But the snow is always welcome. According to the Colorado Sun, if MLK Day brought a blanket of fresh pow to the San Juans, the rest of the state received even more. Statewide, the snowpack now sits at 94% of normal, compared to 75% in our neighborhood. The top Republican in the Colorado House of Representatives is on probation for drunk driving and firearm possession while intoxicated. The Denver Post reports House Minority Leader Mike Lynch was arrested in September 2022 after a state trooper pulled him over on I-25 north of Fort Collins. A breath test showed his blood alcohol content at twice the legal limit. He was sentenced to 18 months of probation, barred from possessing firearms, and ordered to take a handgun safety course. Lynch is also running for Congress. He announced his campaign earlier this month for Colorado's 4th Congressional District. The seat is open, with U.S. Representative Ken Buck retiring. Last week, a Ute Mountain Ute tribal council member was indicted by a grand jury for 12 counts of alleged sexual abuse and assault that took place on the reservation. KSJD's Chris Clements has more. In a special meeting held on Saturday, the council moved to place Lindreth Hemp Wall on unpaid administrative leave indefinitely if he doesn't quickly resign. They also removed Wall from his appointments to boards and commissions and issued a formal reprimand. Wall is a former Montezuma-Cortez school board member and a well-known figure in the area. If he's convicted of a felony, he could be removed from the council by a two-thirds vote that would also bar him from serving on it again. The Cortez Journal reported on Sunday that Wall told his four victims he was a healer experienced in traditional healing practices during the alleged sexual acts. For KSJD, I'm Chris Clements. People are continuing to gather across the region to remember Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. In Boulder, Glenda Strong Robinson, an associate minister and historian for the Second Baptist Church, has very personal memories of Dr. King. She marched with him in 1968, a month before his assassination. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Minister Robinson shared her memories of 1968 with Jackie Sedley of KGNU and Report for America. So on March 28, 1968, which was Dr. King's last deed on earth, last public deed, I'll say, on earth, the I Am a Man march, I was in that march on that day. That was almost 56 years ago. It will be on March 28, 2024, will be 56 years. And it was for, which is, ironic that this Nobel Peace Prize winner, this Southern Christian Leadership Conference leader, this civil rights icon, would be marching on behalf of garbage workers. The sanitation strike, March 28, 1968. And then uh, that didn't end well. A riot erupted on that day, which was programmed or predetermined uh, and pre-planned. And he said, I only conduct nonviolent marches. So he was whisked away from that march and said, I will be back. What we did not know 
was that exactly one week later, he would come back to Memphis, my hometown, on April 3rd, 1968, and uh, delivered that very prophetic, I've been to the mountaintop speech. I think he knew that his time had come. And then, of course, on April 4th, 1968, standing on the balcony of the Lorraine Motel, he was brutally murdered for freedom. The freedoms that we all enjoy today and every person, every American people around the world are benefiting from that life. And I always say man thought he had killed the dreamer. You know, he had the dream. Man thought he had killed the dreamer, but today his dream is bigger than ever. It, it was a larger than life prophetic moment on that day. And so we celebrate a birthday for him giving his life for the freedoms that each of us enjoy today. I know MLK Day has been federally recognized as a holiday observed across the country since 1986. This means people, they have the day off work and school for the most part, but needless to say, the meaning of the day itself goes far beyond that. What perceptions of the day do you see in 2024? Has willingness to commemorate the day meaningfully faded into the background at all? Or within your community, do you see a solid amount of engagement? A little bit of both. A little bit of both. But I do what I do because I want people to know that freedom is not free. Someone paid the price for all of us. And, and we we like to relegate it to Black people. But the I Have a Dream March in 1963 and the sanitation worker strike and Dr. King giving his life for the cause of freedom was for everybody, for all humanity. Freedom is not free. And I happen to know people whose lives were taken trying to vote for the right to vote. And I, I mentioned the right to vote, the very march from Selma to Montgomery, which is where I was in March of 2023. The right to vote started as a result of the death of Jimmy Lee Jackson, taking his grandfather and his mother to vote. The sheriff said if, to the old man, the grandfather, if you uh, vote or you try to cast that ballot, I'm going to shoot you. Jimmy Lee Jackson jumped in front of them and he took the bullet. He was 26 years old and he lost his life. And thus, the Selma to Montgomery March, which unfortunately on the first try ended with Bloody Sunday. And then the second attempt, Dr. King was just making a statement. So he went to the bottom of the bridge. It wasn't until that third try that the government volunteered federal troops and marshals to escort them along that 54 plus mile walk to get from Selma to Montgomery. So a freedom costs, and some people paid the price for that. And we all 
benefit, not just black people, but red, yellow, brown, black, and white people around the world are benefiting from these very acts. I read this quote that Coretta Scott King, who was MLK's wife at the time of his assassination, wrote in the Washington Post in the 80s about her wishes for the holiday honoring her husband. And she said, quote, the holiday must be substantive as well as symbolic. It must be more than a day of celebration. Let this holiday be a day of reflection, a day of teaching, nonviolent philosophy and strategy, a day of getting involved in nonviolent action for social and economic progress. So how do you think we can honor these wishes within the 2024 landscape if we choose to? Well, thank you. I'm glad you asked that. For the work that I've done for the last, I don't know, umpteen years, since the 90s, we have established five pillars for our programs. And those are service, celebration, education, tribute, and solidarity. And so for each one of those things, we have to honor the fact that we as a, as a people, as a nation, as a world, have got to come together in solidarity, that every life matters. Human lives matter. Our tribute, we're honored to celebrate the life of this man who gave his life. And education, so, so few people know really the significance of this man, this movement, and this moment. And so we, we need to educate ourselves. That's what I'm trying to do. And then the celebration, is, of course, is a wonderful thing, but it's not just about marching. It's about that symbolic march I happened to be in Washington, D.C. in 2019, I think. And I met my daughter there, and we were we were coming up the escalator, and she says, Mom, with all the work that you've done in Denver and Longmont and Boulder and Colorado, don't you think you're on this wall in the African-American Museum of History and Culture? And I said, Honey, not a chance. <laughs> so we come up the escalator, and... We look to the left and there is that picture of the march that I was in on April 8th, 1968. On the wall at the Smithsonian African-American Museum of History and Culture, she goes, mom, there's the picture. And then of course, pandemonium broke out. Everybody was like, it's <laughs> So uh, I'm glad to be a part of history. I could just say that. That was Minister Glenda Strong Robinson, an associate minister and historian for the Second Baptist Church Boulder. For KGNU and Report for America, I'm Jackie Sedley. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for partly cloudy skies tonight with a low around 20 degrees. Friday should be partly sunny with a high near 40 degrees. Friday night, expect mostly cloudy skies with a low in the mid-20s. Saturday, there's a 20% chance of snow showers with mostly cloudy skies and a high near 40. Saturday night, snow showers are likely with a low near 30. This has been the news for Thursday, January 18th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, a personal commentary. 
Attention families with kids age zero to five. Please join Bright Futures and Wilkinson Public Library on Thursday, February 1st from 5.30 to 6.30 p.m. for a free parenting workshop. We will be discussing sensory systems and processing in everyday activities with local occupational therapist, Camille Hazen. Dinner, childcare, and Spanish interpretation will be provided. We look forward to seeing you at the library on February 1st. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at KOTO. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.